Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Hey there, listener. Welcome to the Deep Share Podcast. I'm your host, Andy Rouse, and for the last couple of decades, I've slowly been opening my eyes to a very different world than the one I grew up hearing about. And the more conversations I have with interesting people, the more mystifying this world becomes. So without further ado, let's get deep. We've got science to celebrate demons in this house. Come on! There's rebellion in the wind. It will be crushed. Everything I've said is true, it's real. Dinosaur blossoms? I'll have to put those here to test our faith. That damn lie, I, I saw them on my own eye! Did I accuse just drop sharply while I was away? We did it illusions, man. None of it is true. I'm not insane! This is mass madness, you maniac! In God's name, you people are the real thing! We are the illusion! Welcome back to the Deep Share Podcast. Tonight, we get to talk about two of my favorite subjects. While they're unrelated, mountaineering and near-death experiences, we're going to see how they kind of synergize. And uh, my guest is a reverend, an author, a mountain climber himself, Peter Panagore. How's it going, man? Hey, Andy. It's great to meet you already. Hell yeah, man. This is crazy. Off air, we've already hit on a number of synchronicities growing up from the same state and the same area. It's pretty wild, man. It's good yeah. to have you here. I'm I'm glad to be here. Thanks for asking me. Hell yeah, dude. This is great. Um, so just uh, yeah, let's get into it. Let's give my audience a little bit of background. Tell us uh, how how you came to this topic of near death experiences. It comes from a a mountaineering story, right? But not from this area, because I'm always up in New Hampshire. That's I'm sure you used to uh, go up to the White Mountains and everything. You know? Oh yeah. Those were my big mountains, but I've never been up to Canada. You went all the way up, way up to where I've always wanted to go. That's yeah, I grew wild. up hiking in the whites and the greens and the Berkshires. And yeah, yeah so by the, so uh, I'll, I'll, I'll jump in a little bit with this. So I was a student at UMass Amherst. I was in the English department mm-hmm. and I wanted to go away for my junior year. So I went on national student exchange to Montana State University. So I was in my whole thing happened in Bozeman. And the reason why I went there was because of the mountains. And so before I even went on this, this thing that happened to me, I went, I went into the Tetons and Glacier, uh, Yellowstone, the Absarokis, Spanish Peaks. I was climbing all over the place. You went for it. Oh, I, I, had, I had a limit. I knew I had a limited window of opportunity to <laughs> like spend as much time in the mountains as I could. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. It was my early 20s to to like late, thir- well, mid 30s. And now, you know, just being a dad and a family man and working uh, yeah, and yeah. all that, you know, I don't get out there anywhere near as much as I want to. But honestly, there's been a few opportunities in the wintertime. And I'm just like, I don't know if my body can do it anymore. And I don't know if my mind can do it anymore. The All the other seasons are fine. But man, going out there overnight in negative temperatures, it's so vicious these days. It's I'm getting old, I guess. <laughs> well, it, being a dad, you know, it takes up all the time. And, and then when he, 
Yeah, it's a hard thing to be out in the sub-zero temperatures. When you, when <laughs> you at least I want to bring him out there eventually. Have him experience it, right? Oh, you will. Yeah. <laughs> so go on, go ahead. But anyway, so I was out in I was out in Bozeman, mm-hmm. and I didn't want to come back to to home to Marlboro I'm from Marlboro, and so I didn't want to come back to Marlboro for for uh, spring break because. But my my sister who went to Marlboro High, so I'm I'm making an establishment here for the audience. We're from the same area. And, yeah, this uh, is wild. Central Massachusetts. Central Mass. So so my sister after uh, she graduated from high school, she ran away. But from my point, my family's point of view, she vanished. She she disappeared, and Man. and it and it it hurt a lot in my family. And that hurt continued to extend for year after year after year. And so when spring i was in montana to get away not some not just to be in the mountains but to get away from my family and the mm-hmm. pain that was in my house and so comes come that spring break i'm like i'm not gonna go back to boston and step into that that horror hell show of my emotional life so i went looking for somebody to go on an adventure with and and i went to the outdoor club where i had been a member for this this year as a student mm-hmm. and this guy had posted up this thing outside he's taken a a 10-day backcountry snow caving ice climb in british columbia and alberta and which is north of montana for for those folks who don't know where that area, that area is and mm-hmm. so we met and we did a weekend trip together we found that we were compatible and we had a matching skill sets and complementary i should say complementary skill sets that's all and so good. yeah so it was good i i was in the national ski patrol and uh, at bridger bowl and so i was the the first aid first responder guy and he had he had a lot of the gear because he came from a pretty wealthy family so he had he had this (laughs) yeah phenomenal tent and he had all the climbing gear and that's the problem with mountaineering man you get into it you're like i want to take this seriously and then a few thousand dollars later like (laughs) i took it seriously and now oh my god that's why those guys are always living in cars and shit when they're in yosemite (laughs) climbing all the time because the gear and you have to have to have nerd yeah but the but there's the thing there's a reason you're a gear nerd because yeah the better gear you have the better your trip is oh yeah when you when you skimp oh it's bad yep (laughs) wow I, I I don't think I've ever done an interview with anybody who had who actually knew what I was talking about in terms of the of the mountaineering stuff. Absolutely, man. I'm right here with you. <laughs> All right. So... I have, right next to this room is just thousands of dollars worth of mountaineering gear. <laughs> I'm sure. And it's, uh, yeah, I use a lot of it. I still do. You know, I still get out there. It's almost like it makes you get out there because you like invested so much. You know what I mean? It's like Especially I better use married. those crampons at some point. If your so, marriage is like, did you spend the money on this for no reason at all? Most, thank God, I spent most of that money before I was married. Thank uh, God, because it never would have happened. No, no, especially when you have kids. Oh hell no! Yeah, no, I would have never had any of this stuff. Wow. All right. So, so I was a college student, and I had I had limited money, mm-hmm. and so I had limited gear. So I've had to borrow all the gear that I needed. I had skis. I bought new skis. I, I bought these really cool. Well, I, I could go into, I could nerd out, but I won't. I'll stop my nerding out. But I, I had skis and I was a, a, a backcountry skis and I had a nice backpack. I had to borrow a deep winter bag. Mm-hmm. And we went out for this eight day snow cave trip in uh, to Mount Assiniboine in British Columbia. So this is, on, this is off of the Icefields Parkway, north of Banff, 
south of Jasper, you know, within a, like a day's drive of the Arctic Circle. Is yeah, the way. I, I, th- I think about close. it. It's close. And it was March. And there was about 10 feet of snow on the ground. And so we skied out. I don't know how far we went. I'd have to look at a map. But we had eight days out there, and we it was great living in snow caves and That's some. So cool. and, and there was a cabin or two in, along the way, and and we skied back. We had adventures. What we what what really happened on that is is that we learned to trust each other. You know, when you're in the middle of the wilderness, and you have one other person with you, and you are hundreds of miles from any sort of rescue, you really gotta trust the guy you're with, yes. because your life is at risk every moment. Uh, so anyway, we learned to start to trust each other pretty deeply. And Tim was this his name. Tim Tim had just finished his certification in ice climbing, and so I felt safe with him. And so we went to the ice climb, and there's this place called Lower Weeping Wall, and it's at a on a mountain called Cirrus Mountain, Cirrus like the clouds, Cirrus, and mm-hmm. it's right on the Icefields Parkway. It's probably. 70 yards in maybe 100 yards in off the parking lot so here's the setup the the we're we're north of banff uh to the to the west side is the saskatchewan river and a, and a mountain range behind that and on to the east side is this other mountain range the the parkway runs right up the middle of this this incredibly beautiful place mm. very wildly beautiful so we park there and we get into the climb uh and we're maybe there's probably five or six other teams already climbing. We're the last guys in. Mm-hmm. And I couldn't, I couldn't come up with all the gear I needed. And I couldn't buy all, I couldn't buy the gear. So I had to borrow the gear. And mm-hmm. so I borrowed an axe and I borrowed a hammer, which you can climb with, but it's, uh, I can tell you right now, it's not advisable. No. Because as you know, with an axe, you set an axe, you can, you can, with the strap on the axe, you can relax and you can kind of rest on this thing. But with the hammer, the strap for the hold it, the strap is really there so you don't drop it. It's not to, it's yeah. not for any other reason. Like the one on the hammer is has a purpose to not drop it, but also to relax on it. But the hammer, you put the hammer in, it's so much shorter. Uh, you have to grip it. And that was what the problem was. And I, I, I knew that going into it that I didn't have the right gear uh, in terms of the axes. And Tim knew this too, but we were both, I had just turned 21 and I was pretty bravado, you know, I can do this. Yeah. So I do, I can, from, I can relate directly with you when it comes to like the mountaineering, uh, taking chances here and there and kind of feeling your oats and feeling like I've been doing this a long time. I know my limits. I know where my strengths are. I can handle this. That's exactly. I can relate to that. That was my attitude. And, and I'd been, uh, I've been, well, I don't know if I said this on camera, how many I had gone and climbed all these mountain ranges when I was there. Mentioned it off camera. Yeah. All right. So, so (laughs) I I spent as much time as I could in all these different mountain ranges doing all this high adventure. Mm -hmm. So I was, I was completely in my element, but this mistake slowed us, our climb down significantly. So it's a five or 600 foot climb. And I'd never climbed ice at this point. I'd only climbed rock. So this was a new experience for me. And uh, it, it was safer than rock in some ways and more dangerous than rock in some ways. Um, and the temperature in particular is the problem, especially mm-hmm. when the sun goes down at night and you're stuck. And that's what happened to us because my climb was significantly slower than everybody else's climb because I had to keep resting because I burned out my forearms 
with having to grip this hammer the whole time. Yeah. And just for the, for all of you out there who are nerds of, of, of climbing, you have to ha maintain three points of contact. Yes. And, and, and that means two feet and a hand or two hands and a foot. And so, you know, I'm always working, I'm always working this thing. And of, oh, I don't know, maybe two hours before the sun went down, we knew we were in serious trouble because we, we're still ascending and you can't, you can't turn around on a climb like this. You can't walk out like you're in a, on a mountain, right. a mountain trail, you know, you, no. <laughs> you got to go up. So we had to go up and we, a couple hours before the sun went down, we knew the sun was going down and we were watching the early teams leave. And we, That's we have, and, and no one else was climbing. Everybody else was traversing and rappelling. And so we're like still trying to get up there. So we get up to the top um, and, and I'm the, I'm the slow one. And Tim, Tim knew we, we discussed this. We knew that what we were, that I was doing this with the hammer and the ax. So he was, uh, he was in agreement with me and we get to the top of the climb and we're sitting on this ledge and the sun goes down. And as the sun goes down, we watch the last team walk out and they're, they're leaving and they look up at us and they kind of give us the wave, like, or like this, what are you doing? What are you out of your mind kind yeah. of thing? Or, 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 and they left and the sun went down and the temperature dropped about 30 degrees in an instant. And yeah. so, so all of a sudden, because it's a wet sport, I was sweating. This is yeah. also, this is also in the time before super high tech gear, polypropylene underwear, long underwear for polypropylene had just come out and I bought one. So I had a polypro top on and wool was the, I, I was dressed in wool. Right. And there was no Merino wool back then, let alone all the, uh, you know, the polyesters and the the synthetic things that we have now, Nothing. you know, the North Face Ventrix jackets that, you know, <laughs> when you're when you're still, it's going to do this. And when you're moving, it's going to do this. Like we have some pretty high tech gear that you did not have access to back then. I was wearing army stills. Uh, army, oh, go ahead. Yeah. Ar army surplus yeah. wool pants. I've seen and, friends make that mistake. <laughs> and, and I and my boots. So I had crampons, but my boots were actually 1960s leather ski boots. Yeah. Not uncommon to be wearing those mountaineering no. back then. You know, I mean no. You kind of use what you had and when you could what you could get your hands on. Yeah, exactly. And so I was sweaty and ice had been falling down my back the whole day, you know, ice yeah. chipping away and all this kind of stuff. So we get up there and and so we're wet. I'm wet. We drunk all our water. We'd eaten all our food. It was a day climb. Nobody, none of the other teams had brought up extra gear either. We didn't. Right. And the temperature drops and the temperature suddenly our, our bodies begin to uh go into the early stages of hypothermia. And the first step for us was, I described them as violent shivers. And it, it was as if every single individual muscle in my body, small and large, was pulsating independent of every other muscle. So the whole thing is like this Twitter twitch, my jaw, my, uh, yeah, everything, er everything, everything. And it's just shaking, 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 because the body is like, oh my God, I'm getting cold. And so I'm gonna stay warm. And so now we've got this, this shake going on and that's a scary thing because the sun's gone down we know that i know i know because i've been trained in this this is death you know you are in a situation like this you're going to die here because you're five or six hundred feet up and there's no way to get warm so we talked about snuggling together you know you you yep. canoodle up against the mountain but neither of us were warm enough for that even to be a consideration and we kept getting colder 
So we knew. I can feel this experience. I can literally feel it, man. I'm because oh. there's no going inside. Mm-mm. It's a it's an experience that no New Englander that doesn't climb is familiar with because they're they're outside smoking a cigarette and it's fucking negative five degrees out and it's freezing. They're going back inside in five minutes, and that feeling of never being able to go back inside is just it's unlike anything else terrifying we were terrified because and the other thing about both of us is we both knew that panic meant death sooner so we both we were both very calm we both kept our heads level we forced ourselves into that but we did we were both very calm about it had this discussion with our jaws clattering my teeth were clattering like a cartoon and and you know trying not to bite my tongue as we're talking and we decided that we were going to die there. And if we were going to die there, we better try to get off the mountain and die that way. If we're going to die, we're going to die trying to save ourselves. Damn right. So Tim hauls up the line. It's a double line. So it's 150 feet of line. And he hauls this thing up and ends up this huge knot because he laid the line wrong because we're scared. Yeah. So now it's a tangle. Some I don't know whether he dropped the end. I don't know. It's kind of dark. It's, the sun had gone down. But there were uh, 10 zillion stars in the sky full of uh, all these beautiful colors and shapes of starlight. So we could sort of see, too. It wasn't we were blind in the blind dark. So I took off my gloves and they were they were leather. I get OK, so I'm wearing half gloves here because yeah. my hands still get cold. I still I'm sitting in my studio. And I weren't put on my gloves because the the place hadn't heated up fast enough, and I was cold. Wow. So I had leather chaps on with with rag wool mittens, and so I had to pull <laughs> these things off. And um, frostbite began immediately, yeah. so it started right then. But I had to have it off so that I could untangle the rope. So I untangled the rope, and we I don't know how long that took. So then Tim tied himself off and I tied and I stepped back maybe 10 or 15 feet. I don't remember how, what the distance was. And I tied off to him and I, uh, you know, put the slung the line over me. And plus I have all the screws hanging off of me. And so clinky clanky and the axes and it's the dark. And we traverse in this semi dark across this ledge on the ice with the five or 600 foot drop beside us mm-hmm. and right shoulders to the mountain. And we make our traverse in the dark to this first repel and every and we're also skinny guys so with this we're 20 i'm 21 years old i have no body fat on me at all and oh. at, at, at as i walked i felt my energy being drained from me i began to feel like oh, my meter kept going down click 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 mm-hmm. every time i talked every time i moved and tim was in the same situation so we talked we decided that neither of us would say a word we didn't need to say yeah and every, you know how it is in climbing, you try to be as efficient with every move as possible. Yes. And so we're trying to be as efficient with every step as possible. So we're mm-hmm. very trying, to, very much trying to conserve our energy while we're being pressed up against the cold and our time limit. So the longer we're exposed, the faster the hypothermia continues. But you can't rush because if you rush, it, it'll kill you. Yeah, my friend and I always call it fancy footing. Like how many how many segments of fancy footing are we going to have to deal with in bad temperatures or bad conditions or really exposed areas, you know? We always referred to it that way. It's the touch and go zones. 
That's exactly what it was. And the, 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 the touch was the footing and the go was the falling of the edge. Mm. Like, so yeah. we inched our way across and the first rappel was a, a tree sticking out of the mountain, like a spruce or a pine or something like that. Maybe, maybe eight or 10 inches around. And you're supposed to, Tim's like, we're supposed to take this piece of webbing, which and for those of who, who don't know, it's a flat piece of nine. You have a webbing right there. Oh, I thought you reached for a piece of webbing. No, not here. No, <laughs> that would be convenient. Yeah, wait a minute. Should, should just hang some backpacks in here and fill them with some shit. <laughs> and, uh, so webbing is this nylon flat tube that's very useful in climbing. And so you tie it in a square knot. Now you can pull like, like if I put it on a trailer hitch, I could pull a boat with it. It's very strong stuff. <laughs> So you wrap, you wrap it around this tree and then you put the line through it so that the line doesn't lay on the tree. And, but we were already beginning to lose our rational minds. Hypothermia brings confusion. And so we decided not to do that because we didn't want to waste this like five or $10 piece of webbing because it's money. You know, it's like, we don't want to lose that. You would pull the, so we decided to lay the line over the tree and Tim descends and I go down after him. And at the very bottom of this, there's a bit of an overhang. So it's mostly repelling off the mountain on the way down. And then you get to the overhang, you slide down and we get to this big ledge and it's maybe the size of, I'm going to guess 12 by 12, something like that, maybe bigger, maybe smaller, but there's about three feet of snow on this. And Tim is looking out at this beautiful setting behind us. And I'm, I'm now in charge of the rope. I unclip myself. And I pull on the rope and the, it's stuck. It's now frozen to the tree above. Oh, no. So I can't get this thing free. And I'm and I'm yanking on it and I put all of my weight on it and I can't get it free. And Tim comes over. I tell him, of course, and he comes over. And together on one side of the line, we're both hanging on this thing. And it, it won't come. There's nothing. We're jumping on it and nothing. So... We don't know what to do. And he and now, you know, we're stuck. You know, no rope can't go up, can't go down. It's the temperature's uh, dropping. We're we're we get to this place in the hypothermic situation where we're beginning to lose our coordination. So mm-hmm. all you all you New Englanders out there who've walked in the snow or anywhere you are, you it, there's this thing called post holing. You're familiar. Yeah. <laughs> right. So you lift your, your knee up way high and you drop your foot in and and we could, I couldn't, I've been doing it my whole life. I just kept falling over. I couldn't, yeah. I couldn't walk in the snow. So Tim decides to use this hitch called a, a Persic hitch. Are you familiar with that? No, uh, it's, I'd never heard of it either. And, but it's a, it's a kind of hitch. He had, he had this very thin cord, climbing cords, very thin cord. He had a lot of it. And so he cut off these two long off the spool. These maybe the were six feet of, each one was six feet long and he tied this hitch onto the white, well, the right side of the rope and the left side. And the way this hitch works with these huge loops is that it, it had some crazy number, like 96 or 98% friction. So you could slide this thing up. Oh yeah. Locks in. So nowadays they have these things called ascenders. Yeah. That's what the from name I'm familiar with. <laughs> right. This was pre-ascender. This is what uh, yeah. and this I is had grungy shit. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I didn't know about this. He thank God he did. So he knows this hitch and he ties this hitch on one side and the other side with these big huge huge loops, puts his left foot in one loop, his right foot in the other loop. I take the rope, I wrapped it around my waist. And I made it as taunt as I could standing up. And then I lay down in the snow because the lo- the rope has stretch in it. So I'm trying mm-hmm. to make this thing as taunt as possible because he said, he said to me that 
he felt that he was responsible for our lives because he's the certified guide. He's the right. he's the leader. So he he's the one who's going to ascend up the rope without protection in the dark with hypothermia to get the rope free way. So and it's got this overhang. So it's got to he's got to ascend up over this overhang. And then and so I'm lying in the snow and he he starts to go up and I can't see because my face is kind of in the snow and. And, and he went some distance up. I don't know how far up he went, maybe 10 or 12, maybe 20 feet. I don't really know. And then suddenly he says, falling. And, 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 and he falls. And, and, and I kind of try to roll out of the way as quick as I can. And he, he lands half on me, but there's three feet of snow. So it's a soft landing and it oh. kind of smacks me. But I have a helmet on, so it's not yeah, a big yeah. deal. And his foot gets tangled up in the cord and the the weight and the gravity rip takes the rope down. So now the rope has come free because he's fallen and he's okay. <laughs> so we, 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 we untie the hitches and we bind up the rope. And as we're, we're, we're on this ledge, we're, we are petrified. I can't tell you the depth of my fear of, yeah. of dying and knowing that this is what's going to happen. I, and down the highway, down the parkway comes a set of headlights all night long. Nobody's coming down the parkway. And this, and it goes right by like, oh, and we're jumping up and down and waving and they never see us. Yeah. Minutes go by. We're trying to prepare to go off to the next rappel. Another vehicle comes down some, I don't know, half an hour later, 20 minutes later, as we're, we're getting ourselves together to do this. And it, it, it turns into the parking lot across the street where our car is and turns around and we jumping up and down and waving our arms and he flashes his lights and it's the, it's the warden. Oh, because wow. the, the night before we had driven up to this town called Jasper, where yep. we'd gone to the grocery store and we bought some food. And by the time we get back to where we thought we were going to camp, it was way too late and dark and we couldn't find the place. And so we go to the warden's cabin and I don't, it must've been, I don't know, dinner time. And so we talked him into letting us sleep in his cabin. He didn't really like the idea, but he let us sleep in the cabin. If we cooked him dinner and cleaned up. <laughs> so wow. So this is what we did. It's so like a turn of fate. <laughs> it's a turn of fate. So so we sign into the log in the morning because every you know you sign in the wilderness log. Whenever you go in the wilderness, you sign yes. in the log. Where are you There's going? Where are you logs. coming? Right. So let people know where you are. Right. And when you're coming out, yeah. and we didn't we didn't come out. And so right. he came he came looking for us. So we're now heartened. We're like, wow, okay. So we make it over to the next rappel, and now we're off the ice on rock. And this, this rappel had an iron pin epoxied into the mountain with a ring on it. And it was off, it was in rock and there was sort of a craggy area. So we descend down this craggy area. The moon is up three quarter moon sort of, and it's so we can kind of see better. And we get down to the bottom of this rappel. Tim goes to the bottom uh, onto a ledge and I come down and I go around this corner and it's cornered. It's a corner. So you have to come around this corner with the rope and then, in this particular place, there are iron pins with rings epoxied in uh, with carabiners and straps. So mm -hmm. now we're clipped into the mountain. So we're, we're for the first time all night. And this is hours and hours and hours later. And and, and in the process of all of this, I'm terrified. I, 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 I am so terrified that I dig deeper and deeper and deeper into myself as the night progresses to find that place inside myself to drive myself forward for survival. And I felt like my, my, I reached into this deep part of my brain where my, my animal nature 
my 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 animal nature not my human nature but this thing of survivability you I, I, it was the core of myself was to survive that was the most important thing and so i went from this mental driving myself to survive to tapping into this part of myself that is prehistory it's prehuman and and so i'm being i'm dri being driven forward by this amount of willpower that i didn't even know that i had so I'm, I'm driving and driving and driving and I'm keeping myself calm and hypothermia continues to advance. And I come around the corner and I clip into the mountain and I, and I take the rope and I throw off one end. Uh, I, I should say I tied off one end to myself first. I yeah. throw the rope off around the corner and the warden flashes his lights because we're on the last propel and we wave and off he goes. And now I pull on the rope and on the very first pull, it jammed in some rock. I, I couldn't see. I, that's what I'm thinking happened. I pull on the rope. I maybe got three inches or six inches and, and now it, I can't move it. It's stuck. And so I snap the line and you know how you snap a line. It creates this waveform and you can kind of lift it off of stuff. But it, the rope had was touching on the corner of the of the edge of the ledge. So around this, 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 this cliff. And so I couldn't snap the line loose. And the more I pulled it, the tighter it got. So that's exactly it. Now we have no rope. Can't, can't ascend back up this thing. Cause if, if I go over and I put my weight on it, it's gonna, it's a 150, 150 foot drop. Yeah. And so you're on I the just, home stretch, but you have you're not even close. Not even close. Now and in I don't know I even know how long we were what time of the night this is. It's sometime after midnight, sometime mid morning, like two or three in the morning. I don't really know, but it's taken yeah, us hours and hours. Some perspective how long every step, every movement, every uh, it's so agonizing too when your fingers are killing and you have to articulate and do things with them. It's it's just the simplest little things that will absolutely ruin you and nearly make you fall apart. Yeah, because it's because because your body is not able to do what your mind knows that it needs to and that you're right. desperate to do because it means your survival and yeah. and 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 freezing feels like fire. Yeah, stinging and needles and everything. Like 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 my hands and coals, my feet are in coals. It's like burning, and my eyeballs are freezing, and my my face. It was it was it, it was hard to move my lips. So the, the, the more that this got on, the deeper this became, the harder it became to move any single muscle. Do you ever go out swimming in the ocean when it's really, really cold? When the ocean is really, really cold and your muscles start to lock up a little bit? Oh, yeah, yeah. It's like that. So everything's yeah. hard to move and everything's painful. And we had all this fear going on. And plus, we're facing death. And mm -hmm. so we're, we're standing on this ledge and we're terrified and I can't get the rope free. And, and because of this, which you just described, we discussed untying me untying. It was very difficult for me to tie that last knot. And, yeah. and we discussed me untying it and, and handing some of the bitter end. I always find this ironic. The end of the rope is called the bitter end. So <laughs> I was going to hand the bitter end to, to Tim, but, but we discussed, you know, we, he could drop it. I could drop it. it if because I can hardly feel, I can't feel anything. I can't, my hands right. have no. So I kept the rope on and he couldn't help me pull it. And so I had to keep pulling the rope. And, and at some point, um, my, all of the blood 
this is what I felt like all of the blood rushed to my core, to my heart, to my brain, to my belly. And I, and I was thinking, ah, I'm hot. I am hot now. And I knew, I knew that this was, I knew what this was because I'd been on the ski patrol and I'd been trained. I knew what was going on, but I didn't really, I didn't care. And so I unzipped my coat because I was hot and, and I'm trying to cool myself down. And I remember thinking as I'm unzipping, I'm like, I don't need my feet. I can, I need, I need my heart. I need my brain. I don't need my feet. I can lose my feet. I can lose my hands, but this is, this is the important part. And talk about animal instinct, like cut your, you know, bite your hand off in a trap sort of. Exactly. 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 And, and Tim, Tim yelled at me for unzipping my coat and I'm like, fuck you. I'm going to, I'm hot. You know, (laughs) like I know what this is. I'm still doing it. I'm still doing it. Right. And so I'm laughing about this. I'm laughing about this. But only because I've faced my trauma from the night. I've been back to this place. I went back in oh, 2016. Wow. Good for you. And, in, That's and, awesome. and until that time, I cried every time I told this story. I don't think I've ever told this story laughing before. Wow. So <laughs> thank you. <laughs> so, so, so I unzip my coat. I realize that I'm going to die here. Like I now know my drive suddenly drops. I'm not driven anymore. I feel this wave of peace come over me. I recognize that there's no way I'm getting out of this. The rope is stuck. I'm hot, which is like the second to last, third yeah, to last it's sign. sign. It's a bad sign. People people who die of hypothermia are sometimes found naked. Yeah. Yeah. We had one up in New Hampshire just, uh, well, it was it's about 10 years ago now, but it was a park ranger that got lost in a storm on Lafayette and uh, went down the ridge on the wrong side and into the northern yeah. wilderness and was found nearly naked days later real yep. real easy real sad yeah because you get confused and your body's telling you one thing that's not really true although you know i've thought a lot of obviously i've thought a lot about it over these years maybe it's mm-hmm. a blessing it could be it could be a return to origin point or purity of some kind related in there somewhere maybe yeah and to speed the process Oh yeah, so yeah. that's that if was it my... feels good, especially, and you know what's going on, right? Yeah, yep. Trying to end it quicker, and and I had, but I had this peace come over me, and I and I mm. remember I turned to face the I could, all this time we can hear the Saskatchewan River, so the river's running by, and it's we, we can hear it running, and it's incredibly beautiful, and the mount, moonlight is off reflecting off the mountains, and and as this peace floods into me. I think about my family, my mom and my dad and my sister who's missing. And, and I think, Oh my God, I'm going to die here. And and they're going to lose another kid. And, you know, my parents are going to, it's going to be devastating to them and it's going to be in the news and it's going to be like, uh, it's going to be awful, awful for them. And, but I had this peace and acceptance that death was, what was going to happen to me. And I, and I, I'm going to give a little, a little religious background here. Okay. Sure. So I, I had been raised Greek Orthodox and Roman Catholic. And so I had, I had some religion in my background and I went to, I went to a Catholic high school, um, yeah. but I was a, I was a pot smoking acid head. And, um, and, and, and wow, more and more things in common just for the audience. We went to the same high school, we did. the same Catholic indoctrination, and, and wow, acid, yeah, all that, yeah, good stuff. All right, right, coming from the same perspective, man, right. And so, and I had also okay, here's the here's a twist I had been a born again, a born again charismatic Christian for a period too. Oh, wow, okay, and and so after actually 
after I had this awakening using um, purple microdots on Pedro cactus, I took a triple hit and nice. and this in, in high school. And so I had this, this spiritual awakening thing happen to me. So I'm, I'm up there and I tell you about the faith part of it because it sort of plays into what I'm about to say next. So I have this experience of peace coming over me and then I began to fall asleep and the falling asleep wasn't like, like I took a nap before this tonight and mm -hmm. I lay on the sofa for a while, I kind of snuggle into the pillow and, and, but this kind of falling asleep was a curtain drop on a, on a, on a darkened stage. Boom. The curtain comes down. I'm asleep. I fall down. I smack my head on the rock. I wake up because of the drop and then I'm back up again, pulling the rope and, and then Whoa. boom, the, I'm out and I'm back up again. And, and so then I stand up this time. And as I stand up, all around my vision is a black ring. And this black ring closes very rapidly. And, and I'm like, what is this? I'm completely confused. Is this, this I'd never seen such a thing. I'd, I'd heard about it, tunnel vision, but, and it went to black. And as it's going to black, I think to myself, I must be falling asleep again, but this is weird. And as it goes to black, I'm still awake. It goes to black and I'm still conscious. And I'm like, what? is this and all of my pain's gone and i'm still your exhaustion everything I, i'm not exhausted yeah. everything i'm just fine and i don't understand what's going on and i think to myself why why where what's going on here well why is am i not in pain and and as i'm thinking these thoughts i'm kind of confused this darkness becomes expansive and and from now on and everything i'm going to say is a metaphor or simile because there is no language on the other side no, Damn, no right. brains to contain language. No and logic. So, no logic. Nothing like that. And the the logic people say, oh, there must be a reason. You know, God must have had a reason for you know somebody dying. And it's like, that's it's like saying it's like an amoeba saying, I understand a human's reasoning capacity. Mm. It is nothing to do with it. And so this, as I'm 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 staring out into this darkness, and and this darkness is expansive. And I see the expanse of this darkness when way far in the distance, like the, a, a galaxy's distance away, a single pinprick of light appears. And this pinprick of light appears like a pop into the darkness. And as it pops into the darkness, it rushes toward me at an incredible speed, faster than the speed of light. And as it comes to me, it fills my entire vision and it speaks to me without language, directly to me with uh, knowledge, and it says to me, I'm taking you. And as it says to me, I'm taking you, I think, no, you're not. I don't know what's going on here, but I'm not going <laughs> anywhere. And, and, and as it grabs me, it, it communicates to me power, power and intellect that is far beyond anything I can describe. And it, it, it was so powerful, it just took me against my will and, and encased me in itself and then took me. And so I'm, I'm, I have now two points of view. I am inside of this, uh, you know, people call this an angel, but it's like a, an orb of consciousness, of conscious energy. And, it's, and, it, and it seems to me, as it's, it's speaking to me, but not in language, it, it, it is, there's no distant distance or difference between its intellectual capacity and its beingness, between its power and its beingness, and between these things and its communication. It is all of these things simultaneously. And I'm inside of it, and I have no 
like a raggedy Ann doll, you know, mm-hmm. you know, I'm just, I can't move, I'm, but I'm content. It's speaking to me power and, and knowledge and intellect, but it's filling me with comfort and welcome and, and well-being. And as it's doing this, I have the, I have this knowledge that it is also the divine presence itself in its fullness. So somehow or other, it's this reduction of the fullness of the divine. And also it's the fullness. It's sort of, it's superpositioned between these two and in its fullness. Yeah. And fractal. I would like to. (laughs) Yeah. Fractals. That's a good word for it. And so I'm in this and I, I, I can see through it. And and it's you know the proverbial sitting on a cloud comfort kind of thing in you know the, all the cartoons. But I was not able to move; I was just locked in, and I could see myself from outside. So I could see through this entity into the void. As I'm going back up, you know, people call it the tunnel, but it's like a uh, for me it was like an elevator back up the same channel that it had come down to to collect me, and I had a sec. A secondary point of view pardon sorry real quick are you, are you still aware like when you when you're conscious of this but there's blackness everywhere was it you, just your awareness that was there you're just like kind of like a point of awareness or were you aware of your physical body still well that's what just it, to clarify well my i've been cut off from my physical body so people talk about the silver cord that connects you when you're at, yeah right right so i've had that experience too that's another story but there was no connection to that. There was no connection to my body at all. It was severed. And, wow. and, and I could see myself from outside of myself. So I'm inside of this angelic entity, looking out into the void, being uh, transported with it, inside of it. And I had another point of view, seeing this happening from the outside. So, I, and I'm kind of, and I have a kind of non-locus, so I don't have any particular position. I don't have any particular substance to me outside. I just can see myself okay. from the outside. And simultaneously, I can see myself from the inside. And it should like, be complex of, com- complex and hard to explain. <laughs> it, it makes is, sense it, this way. Totally paradoxical. And I had, yeah. a, I had a body, okay, inside okay. this angelic being, but it wasn't a physical body. It was, it was still shaped like Peter. But mm. it was um, energy. I had no, there was no, mo- there were no molecules to me. I wasn't, I was a, a, a body of light, you could say. Okay. And, and so I'm this, I'm, and it's still shaped sort of like me. And, but the, we travel at this rapid speed. I, I, I'm also paralleling my, myself and this entity seeing this happen from these other, I'm superpositioned. I see two, two from two places at once. Wow. And, and I, and suddenly we're where it emerged into this void space between heaven and earth. And we're up to this edge and it, it like ejects me or unfolds. I can't really, I don't really, this is part of my NDE that I'm not really sure what happened, mm-hmm. but so, suddenly I am outside of it and, and I'm in a, a much deeper, darker illuminated darkness. So this, this is a darkness that has light, but it's, no, it's it's not like you think it would be. It's it's pitch black darkness, but I can see in the pitch black darkness, mm. and I am now inside of the body of heaven, of a heaven, 
and I am an orb of energy and I don't have a light body like I just with shape anymore. I am a like an orb of of energy and I am in a no thingness. I am no thing and I am there is no thing here. This is nothingness. But this nothingness has uh I don't know, a substance to it that like is emanation. Not. Yeah, it's behind yeah, the or, eye. It's as Buddhists would say. Yes. Yes, I'll go with that for sure. And so I'm this I'm this energy I'm this energetic ball of consciousness that I can see in every direction at once. So I'm like covered with 10,000 eyes, only I'm not covered with 10,000 eyes. I am 10,000 eyes. And right. I, and my and my and my thinking is my seeing is my being is myself. And my first ex, my first recollection uh no, how do I say this? My my first understanding is to recall that this is me. This is actually me. I was never, ever really this other thing, this human being. This is my truth of myself. And I am content. I am alone in this in in this infinite space, but I, I'm completely content. I, I'm I know who I am, I know where I am. I'm in myself. And I can see almost, and this is paradoxical, I can see to the beginning of infinity. Like infinity has no beginning and no end, right? right. But except for that I can see uh, across the space of the universe, like with great vision in every direction, but there's a point at which it becomes darkness to me, like darkness that I can't see into. So, and I know, I know in this place that beyond that is, is, is infinity. It's like, how do I know that? I don't know how I know that. But I know that that's infinity and I can't see into it. And and while this is going on and I recognize myself, I see uh, like an opening in the darkness where the, where the darkness becomes light. It, it, it's like a door opens or a thing is ripped open or, or the, I've, I've been describing it these days as a waterfall. So there's like this waterfall of light that suddenly appears and it's ginormous. I'm big. I'm, I'm 10,000 times bigger than I was as a human being. Much, much, much bigger. Um, and, and, and I'm, and I'm thinking very rapidly because there's no brain in the way of my thinking. Right. So it, I know that feeling. Right. Okay. So this absolute release, it, it feels like there's just the governor has been removed. Yeah, exactly. I'm yeah, interested to hear what happened to you. Sure, sure. We can get into it after this is okay. I'm completely enthralled in this right now. All right. So, <laughs> you don't mind. so no, 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 I don't mind at all. Um, <laughs> So this light appears and it's, it's ginormous and it is flowing. So it's, it has all these, everything is paradoxical. It's two things at once and neither cancels the other out. Mm. And so it is, it's made up of, of all of the colors of all of the stars in the sky that night, blues and greens and yellows. I could see all these, all these colors and, and, and more colors that I, that I don't see on earth. Like, as if I could see x-ray and infrared and ultraviolet and more than that. And it's all these colors at once. And it's also white at once. So it's, it's both of these simultaneous and I can, and I, and it's surface is solid. And yet I can see the surface, the, the solid surface. I can see it's translucent. I can see into it and it's transparent. I can see through it. And it's all these three things at the same time. And it's and it's this flowing. It's the most beautiful thing I'd ever seen. It, it wow. is. It, it's seductive. It, it it's calling to me. It it's attractive to me, and I want it. And I move toward it, and it moves toward me. 
and I and I get really close to it and I'm looking right at it and I touch it with my energy body. So I've got this, I don't have any hands. I put my hand up, but I don't have any hands. I, it's like my, my energy self touches it. I want to touch it. And as I touch it, as soon as I come in contact with it, I open up like, like I am ripped open and this light flows inside of me and infills me. And then all of these things happen at once. I'm, also, I should say, this is in a place of timelessness. So there's no future or past. So there's no, so everything happens at the same time. I don't know how to explain that. This is something I often have to talk about. I I talk about how we come back from this ineffable experience and have to put it into logical reasoned language, which also includes chronology. And that doesn't exist in this outside place. So we're always kind of missing the mark. And nowadays, at least I think a lot of us are onto the fact that there's always pieces missing. So the more stories we share, perhaps we can kind of fill in this larger story together, you know, but I think a long time ago, this may have been where religions came from. Oh, I agree. You know, like, yeah, you got the right idea. It's like the idea of the uh, urban legend always has a nugget of truth in it. Is There is this real thing that we're all very, everyone that tells these stories is like close to what we all can imagine. You're telling this story in a way that's more uh, revealing to me than I've heard most people tell their stories. Like you brought a lot back with you, which is really amazing. And I just, yeah, just wanted to jump in with that. Well, we can talk about that too, because there's, there are, well. Sure. I'll, I'll, <laughs> I'll, 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 I'll give myself a little commercial break and say every religion started with a mystical experience. Muhammad. Yeah. Jesus, uh, Moses, uh, Lao Tzu, Chuang Tzu, the, and then the theologians get involved, the people who do not mm. have the mystical experience, and it gets codified and doctrinalized, and then it becomes... Uh, well, what the we ultimate all... logicalization, I guess you could say. Oh, the, the interesting <laughs> phrasing, lization, lies. Ah, yeah. Yes, because it's not... It, it, everything... There's this guy named Pseudo-Dionysus from like the 6th century also known as Dionysus the Agrippit, and he talked about negative theology. And basically mm. what he said is that anything that you say about God is not true because it's in language. And once, oh, it's, that's great. once yeah. it's in language, it's limited. And because it's limited, it's not true. So if I say my glasses are good, I can't use the same good word for the divine. I have to say if my glasses are good, then God is not good. But that gets into all sorts of... No, I like that. I like that a lot. This is something that some of my audience might feel like is a broken record story, but just, just to articulate this from my perspective, uh, I was heavy into psychedelics and a friend and I found ourselves like probably hours worth of conversation, tripping really hard, describing either ourselves or life itself. But all we kept doing is saying, it's like this, it's like this, as you said earlier, simile and metaphor, right? Yeah, that's it. You can't name it. You can dance around it forever and ever, but you can never come close to it because it's left unexplained on purpose or something. It's it, well, you, you can't contain unlimitedness in limited form. Yeah, so that's beautiful. every every single mystic who's ever lived, Rumi. I'm a big fan of Rumi and Habtez and, yep. and uh, uh, Kabir, and I could go down a whole long list of them. But they all talk in metaphor, every one mm-hmm. of them, because there's no other language for it. Which is why poetry is the language of mystics. Makes sense. So, so this 
this entity infills me and and I expand and then all these things happen at once. And I I hear my the origin of myself being called into being. Like you know in the in the Bible it says uh the the the, the, the and this is all mythology, okay, just myth, a truth that uh, a story that tells the truth with a capital T that is not true. Right, so, absolutely. so the whole Adam and Eve story, the you know, the, the of the mud and God breathes life into them. So there's this mm. breath that makes me in, into existence, but not my physical human self, but my soul consciousness. I am I am breathed my my consciousness is free being breathed into being in the now, but also in the in the in the eternal eons of of my existence. And so I hear my name called like I, I know that that I am being birthed in the moment of my existence. And I had been being birthed in the same moment of my existence for for an eternity. And that that my creatureliness as a consciousness was created by creator. And that I am I am a made being. And and I hear I hear myself being created as I'm present to myself. And I see and I'm shown my origin of myself. So I, I see I see myself in in this original state. I'm sort of like I describe myself as a singular photon. And and I can see this field of photons and this this field of photons is the size of many many universes and it is the it is the divine energy itself that has no gender and has no religion and is all there is all life and i am the same substance it's i am a photon from this field of photons but because i am outside of it and connected to it like again superpositioned i'm mm -hmm. also in it but i am a reduction of it Right. Of right. the same like quality, but not of the same quantity, so to speak. And so I am I am in and of itself light, but I am also created creature from this unlimited. I am a limited consciousness created from this unlimited consciousness. And it shows me my the length of my life, my eternal soul life. And so I see the length of my consciousness existence which is always in the now, but also has a chronology. And I can see the chronology in the all of the lives that I had lived previously. So it's, it's like a, a long piece of French bread, a very long baguette. And in this <laughs> yeah. baguette, I am the baguette. And then there were these tiny toothpicks that are shoved into the baguette. Not many of them compared to the amount of baguette there is. Yeah. But all of these these little things are my other lives. And none of them are me. I am the baguette. I am not the toothpick. But I see all these other lives, and I and I want to look into them, and I'm I'm allowed to look into them. Like I want to look, and so I I get to look into one of my lives, and I see, I am brought down into this living. There's an, a a living creature, a human being. I'm inside of this other human body, and I could see, I could still, I could still see through the, the, these eyes. I could still see this, like this cliff face, and and this walkway, this like dirt road, and and I'm inside this other human being, and and then I'm out, and then I'm inside uh, some other kind of creature somewhere else, and I don't know whether it was an animal on Earth or another another creature and another star system, because everything I'm looking through these eyes now, I have no idea what's going on. 
Uh, like I, I don't recognize anything. The colors are different. The the lights different. I'm seeing you know all these things that I don't understand, and I'm pulled back out again. And I, but I see I see that all of those lives, they're not me. The the, the me that is me is this is this photon is this mm. baguette. This is the truth of myself, and all these other places they they all seem to be simultaneous to me so all of these other lives are happening at the same time from my point of view uh, and even though they seem to be laid out in this this chronology so i i see the origin of myself meanwhile the divine is speaking to me and the divine is this is heaven itself i'm like right. in the belly of of like jonah in the whale i'm in i'm in the belly of the divine and it is infinity and it's also the divine is right next to me, but I can't see the divine as an individuated being. And it's also inside of me showing me myself. So there's yeah, like you can feel it, but it's it's like it's like I, I've heard the yin yang described as a single fish chasing its own tail, wondering if there's another fish there. Like it's kind of like an old koan in a way, but it's it's that idea that's like the ghost in the machine that, and it. I, yeah, I'm sorry to cut you off like that. No, it's, no, no. It's it definitely uh, resonates with me, you know, with my own experiences for sure. I the the mystical experiences. Every mystic that has ever lived is individuated because of their humanness, their mm -hmm. education, their culture, their time period, all this kind of stuff. But there's yeah. so much overlap in the in the others on the other side. It's just mm -hmm. overlap upon overlap upon overlap. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Yeah. So I am this, uh, I, I, I also want to understand all of the cosmos. I want to understand how the whole thing works. And I'm yeah. and suddenly in this download, I understand astronomy and, and chemistry and biology. And, and I understand all of that. I understand how it's all put together. But, but I also understand that it's way beyond my understanding. There's like, I understand that at this level, but then I can see that there's this other level that, that I am not privy to. But this is much more knowledge than I'd ever had before. And it was as if I had all of the knowledge of all of the databases in the, in, on Earth were suddenly instantaneously in me. And, but it only described what I could comprehend as a human being. But in this case, it was, it was only what I could, I could comprehend as a, as an, a divine entity not the divine entity, but as a divine entity. And what I knew, this is where I get the idea the, that of when people say God must have had a reason, that's, mm. I didn't understand the reason and I was there. I was like, this is way beyond my level of, of comprehension. Yeah, it almost feels like God doesn't know why it's happening either. If there is God, an individuation, like the answer would be, uh, beats me let's keep doing it or something <laughs> along those lines it's it feels like that in a way <laughs> so i'm I, i'm seeing all this stuff at the same time and and then i have this 
expansion and i'm expanded and expanded and expanded it's just infilling me with with paradise and bliss knowledge understanding wisdom joy um no wellness wholeness uh healing adoration awe patience knowledge and 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 i'm i'm like a balloon being inflated and the and the and the more of it's pouring into me and pouring into me and pouring into me the less of me that's there and so it i i'm i'm bigger and bigger in this state of union with the divine and i get to this level in the union with the divine where i had i still had a, a little tiny bit of my own individuated consciousness where i knew that any more would obliterate me and annihilate me back into the divine self and mm. i would i would be no more and wow. then then this reduces down again now i get now i kind of get deflated back down and now and now i'm i i go through a hell and so i go through a hell of my own making i i suffer all of the pain that i ever suffer that i ever gave away in my entire life and so I, but I'm inside of these other people. I'm inside of, especially, you know, you hurt the ones you love and it's usually your family. So I'm inside of my mm. sisters and my brother and my parents and my friends. And I experience from their point of view in a chronology, all of the pain that I'd ever given them in my life, feeling wow. their emotions, the rush of their, you know, their adrenaline or their, whatever, their, their jealousy or their anger or their pain or all of this. And it's much, much larger in each individual person that I never imagined because I, I'm also having another experience. I am also myself, my human, my formerly human self inside of the, that body, experiencing all of my reasons and emotional causations to give them that pain. So mm. I have these points of view simultaneously. And the voice is speaking to me that I am known and that there is nothing about me that is unknown. And, and I'm in the blaring light of the divine being and everything of me is completely seen and I am naked in front exposed. of the, 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 the eye of the divine, exposed. And, I, and so as I go through this experience of feeling all of their pain, the voice is present to me, speaking to me, showing me, experiencing for me, uh, giving me love and forgiveness. And it's speaking this to me, but, but my, my initial experience of this was shame and guilt. Mm -hmm. I judged myself as guilty for having caused all this pain and that all the pain that I had given away to all these people actually accrued to me and was my karma. Was I, I, the pain I gave away was mine. I carried that pain with me. And so the I see myself in comparison as a limited being, as a, as a, having been a human limited being in mm -hmm. comparison to the infinite unlimited. And I judge myself as guilty for having caused all this pain. And right. then it shows me all of humanity. It shows me all, all of humanity in the brokenness of all of our pain and how we all give pain to each other. And this is the nature, not only of humanity, it shows me that is the nature of nature. It is the nature of the entire universe, everything. So this knowledge that gets downloaded in me inside of the universe of how the whole thing works, it includes the, the understanding that, that the brokenness of human beings that's expressed in the pain that we give each other is the norm throughout the universe. We have black holes consuming star systems, and we have yep. viruses that kill human beings. Everything eats something else. Everything causes pain. The, the just the other day, I'm watching. I was sitting outside, and and I watched this this hawk come down and you know snatch this frog, and the right. frog, like, 
<laughs> and the and the and the hawk's like dinner. And so there's this always causing pain to survive. And the comparison between the brokenness of the universe and infinity created this radical equality among all of humanity for all of the so it wasn't like and this is hard for folks to hear but it wasn't like the murderer was worse than me or i was worse or better than the murderer i was because right. the because the comparison is always this way you know this is the murderer and i'm here and and that person's worse than me but from my point of view it was like looking at the at the earth from the outs from the moon where you can't see any of the the mountain peaks you could just see this round smooth ball mm. and the way all humanity looked it looked like all kind of the same to me compared to the infinity the unlimited nature of the divine love and as this was being shown to me it said to me uh i you didn't design this place i did um, you're, you are a creature inside of me. And although you did these things, I have always loved you through every moment of your life, of your human life. There was never a moment that I did not love you. Never a moment that I was not you and with you and through you in these experiences. And I have loved you and I will love you. I have known you and I have always known you. And as I listened to this, it was like, uh, my ear opened up to its love through the lens of all of the love that I'd given away in my life and all the love that had been given to me. And as I listened to the love and the forgiveness, so this, this was like a, I describe it as a purgative fire of divine love, a consuming purgative fire of divine love burning off in the Bible. It talks about the wheat and the chaff. And, you know, it's like all my chaff was burned off of my wheat. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm down to the core of my being and I don't need this other stuff. It's all been burned away from me. And as this happens to me, this is when the infilling happens that I described moments ago. And here I am telling this story in a circle, okay? So right. because it all happened simultaneously. So I have this experience where I suddenly hear the divine love and light of love and forgiveness, like an ocean, like an ocean pouring into me. And once I listen to it, I am infilled by it and inflated by it. And so there's this, and it all happens at the same time. It's mm -hmm. not like this and that and this and that. It's just waboom all at once. And so then I'm I'm back down to reduced to my the, a smaller sort of being that's no longer this expanded balloon self. And I say, "Am I dead?" And the voice says, "Yes, you're dead." And I say, well, I can't die now. And the voice says, why? It's your time to come home. This is all, I'm putting all of this in language. There's no Absolutely. word. Absolutely. Right? Yep. Right? I'm with you. Yep. It's time for you to come home. And I'm like, but my parents are going to lose another child. And I've caused this thing. And so I have this. Mm, like, a, selfless, a selfless reason to go back. Maybe that I just want to earmark that. And, and <laughs> so I, I'm like, uh, you know, and as I say this, my parents are going to have more suffering. I am swept across heaven. So this heaven is the, is infinite place, okay? But I'm swept to the edge of infinity, which is paradoxical in itself. Mm -hmm. And and at the edge of this infinity is like where the the Higgs boson field, if you're familiar with that, where energy becomes matter, and yes. it's like a field. And so I'm yeah. I'm kind of poked out of this of heaven. Most of me is still back inside of it, but enough of my consciousness is outside of it. I'm in this air. I, I pass through this field of of where energy becomes matter, and I am. I can see our entire universe now, and uh, all of it. I can see all of like 
all of the universe, all of the galaxies. And then I can see all of them. It's not like I'm like looking at this one and looking at that one, all of it all at once. And then my, my vision is directed toward what would be called the big bang. So to the origin of the universe itself. And as I look at the origin of the universe of itself, I see, I experience, I am shown the outpouring of love that is all there is. So there's this love that's this wave of love that makes all these galaxies exist. And then there's then there were universe upon universe upon universe, like multiverses being laid out one after the other and, and all at the same time, like, like a fan, all these universes and they're all made of the same substance of love. And it's being spoken to my being inside of me, inside of heaven. And I can see that it's also being spoken into all things that exist, all these universes. And as it unfolds, the all these multiverses after multiverses after multiverses, I can see that beyond that is the origin of the divine itself. And I can't see that. I can only experience its expression of love for all there is. And as I'm looking and experiencing this love, it's speaking to me saying, in the way that I love you now, I have always loved you. And this love is a, a billion zillion times greater than all of the love that I've ever experienced or all of all love of all humanity, all at once in one place times a bazillion zillion. It doesn't even come close to the amount of love that was directed right at me. And, and, and I, I have always loved you. I have always known you and, and all is well, has been well, and will be well. And as this love is being flooded into me, my vision is brought down to our galaxy, to our planetary system, to earth. And I see all of earth in a, a holographic form. And I can see through earth and I can see 7 billion people at once. I see everybody. And it's not like I'm looking at you and then I'm looking at you and then I'm looking at you. I see every single person at the same time. And inside of every single person is this gold light of uh, this little tiny golden fleck of gold dust of light. And it is the divine presence that makes all things exist. And, it, and, and, and no one on earth can see it inside themselves or in other people. There's like this foam covers all of earth and it's this preventer, this veil through which people cannot see. But I can see, and the voice says, nothing is lost. Everyone is beloved. All of this is me. This is me. I am all that there is. And I love myself. And in the way that I love you with this intensity, I felt like the, the most important person in all the universe. <laughs> yeah. But it also said, so is everybody else. So is everything else. You are particularly, especially loved. But everyone is particularly and especially loved and no one and nothing is lost because of my love. I all are welcome back. And then it shows me and, and people are killing. I, like I'm seeing wars. I'm seeing right. wars and, and submarines and people in, in elevators. And I see every babies being born and everybody's got the same golden speck inside them, even the murderers. And so and as I see this, I, my my parents faces appear. And I see all of their collected lifetime of suffering up to this point. This is like live time. I'm seeing this in live time. I'm seeing what's actually going on. And so I see my parents, then I see all their collective suffering in their faces. And then I see these. So I know the depth of their pain. Yeah. And then I see, I don't feel their pain, but I can see their pain. And I then see there, these two parallel life tracks appear. And one of their life tracks is without me in the world. 
and their pain is magnified. And then I see simultaneously their parallel, the parallel, their lives with me back in the world. And then I see their deaths. And in the in their deaths, I see the 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 equality of their of their consciousness to mine. And the voice says, they will be here like that because I now see the length of a human life is that fast. Right. And that if you yeah. wait a, if you wait a moment, they're going to die. And they may have they may suffer this without you, but they're going to be here with you in this peace and bliss, and all is well and has been well. So why don't you stay? And I and but gives me this choice, and I say, well, if I can I come back here? If I go back, can I come back here? And the voice says, yes, you can come back here. And I said, well, then I go. I I choose to live my life so that my parents will have less suffering. And the voice says, you won't live your life and throws me out. And I get thrown out and, and, and I get shot away. And I'm, I'm still like back this angelic being, which is God itself is, is with me. And it's, I'm sort of enwrapped in this and I'm being reformed. And suddenly as I'm shooting way through heaven to through this, uh, I don't know how to describe this place. It's it's like this. It's not the Higgs boson field. It's the void. I'm going back to this 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 void that up up through which I came. But now in front of me are a million doorways, and all these uh, all these million doorways are in these concentric circles. And in the center of the circle is a is a ginormous white beam, much bigger than all of the doorways altogether. And it it's its light pervades all the way to the outer edge of these doorways, but it gets faded as it goes to the outer edge. So the closer to the intensity of the light, and the voice says to me, choose a door, choose. But it says to me, choose the light. It says, choose a door, choose the light. And I'm like, I choose to have some autonomy. I wanted some humanness. I wanted creativity. I wanted, I didn't want to go into the pure light. I, I wanted to be a human person. And yeah. so I choose a door by, as soon as I have this thought, the door is chosen and it's, it's somehow it's close to the center of the light. It's close to the, the, the center, not to the center of the light, but to the edge of the light, but mm -hmm. it's not in the beam of light. And, and I'm inside this door and and I'm traveling down this tunnel and uh, there's all these other doors inside this tunnel and they're all leading to all these other doorways in the tunnels and they're all probabilities that I could live based in the choices of my life. And I see my life in front of me. I see, I see, I see as I go by, I see the life I will live. Wow. And, and, but, but it's not like fate and destiny. It's like, it still has all these doorways. Right, right. They just all lead back here. <laughs> they all lead back here. That's right. Yeah. And so now I'm down outside my body and I can see my body. I can see my body and, and I'm being crushed down like in a compactor and then jabbed into my heart space here and twisted in like an ice screw. Like I felt like it was an mm -hmm. ice cream. It was like this grinding to get inside painful thing. And then I'm inside this body and I have no control over this. It's this being done to me. I'm like, mm -hmm. It's no, I can't stop it if I wanted to. And I wanted wow. to. And so I'm inside of this thing, this thing. And I, I, I experience my brain winding up like a computer, like it's like this yeah. thing comes back online. And as this thing comes back online, I'm sealed off from heaven. There's this, this, like, I am no longer connected to that. And now I'm inside of this, this thing 
and I, I feel my brain come back online. I, I don't understand what's going on. And then pain, like the, the brain comes back online and all I feel is suffering and pain. And it's not just the physical frozenness of it, which is painful, the burning and the icy blocks of on my feet. <laughs> it's just being in a human body is yes. awful. Yeah, when, when we realize it's such an interesting experience. I've talked to a number of people about that, how uh, when we can actually get into that state of awareness where we can feel the body, you know, it's it's very relatable to the idea of feeling the weight of the world on your shoulders as well. It's, you know, it's that fractal thing, the, the micro to the macro. Uh, it's all very heavy and dense here. Hence all the metaphors throughout every religion of evil and devils and ground crawling animals, low, dense. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Here. So anyway. Here. <laughs> yes. Yeah, here. This wonderful, beautiful Awful. alchemical place we're in. But Right. And so <laughs> so I, I I begin to hear and I, I hear sound and I'm like, what is this? And and then I, my brain understands language and and I hear Tim you're dead. Don't die. Don't die. Don't die. Don't die. Don't die. Don't die. And I open my eyes up and he's like, ah, you're alive. Oh my God. You, you were, I thought you were dead. You were dead. Oh my God. If you die and he's crying and you, I was going to die. Cause I, he needed me. And, and so then I stand, he helps me stand back up and I'm like, what the fuck is going on? Where, who are you? And who am I? And where was I? And, and what is this thing? And, and, and slowly it all kind of, you know, I understand who he is and what's going on. And, and he's like, pull the rope. And I pulled the rope. And I guess I had, I guess I had, cause we're on this ledge. I guess I had the, when I fell asleep, I landed on the ledge, but I guess mm -hmm. this time I must've kind of fell off the ledge a little bit because, because I stood back up and I was, I was strapped in. Right. So I was, yeah. I was hooked into the mountain. And uh, so I stand back up and he's like, pull the rope. And I'm like, pull the rope and it comes free on the first pull. Ooh. And, and, and so now we've got the rope and he descends and I go down behind him. We go over to the car, we get the tent out, we set it up and we treat ourselves for hypothermia. And and so for all you hypothermic guys and who and Arctic guys, this is a super Arctic tent. It's got a it's got a vent and a chimney so we could fire up the stoves inside the tent. So we fire up the stoves inside the tent and we, we you know, we drink warm water, warmer, warmer, warmer. We get inside our sleeping bags, we heat our bodies back up. Uh, to a temperature at which we can get into the car and then fire up the heaters in the car. And that's, and then I'm an entirely different person. I came back an entirely different person. I'm an, I, I am not the person I was before I went. Hence the, hence the, uh, the, the cryptic phrase, you're not going to live your life. Yep. And I was pretty pissed off as I, as, as it came to, as I came to understand that my life was over, I thought I was going to go back and be me. I didn't yeah. understand. Same hobbies, same interests, same knowledge, same everything. Well, I was the same physical body and everybody treated me as if I was the same person, but I was not the same person. <laughs> and, and it, 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 my whole life changed entirely. And so mm -hmm. you, 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 I did, I, my, my experience is not unique. There are other people I've met who've been to the place of no thingness, but I, I have found these things to be true about near-death experience. If you, if you aim your heart at the oneness of being with the intent of that alone, it keeps revealing itself to you. That's been what happened. It keeps revealing itself to me. So, so I've, I've over the years come to learn more about myself 
and my experience there by getting out of the way. Mm-hmm. So, so I practice meditation, I practice uh, Kriya Yoga, and, and the whole process is the elimination of the egoic attachment to the egoic self. And the more that I practice that, the deeper I'm able to go inside myself, the more I'm able to see who I actually am and what happened to me. And I didn't go in and why people are wondering why I, you know, I'm, I'm articulate about this is because I, I came back as a messenger and my, my job is to communicate this. I use language to communicate it, but really I want to use Shakti, Shakti pot. I want to be able to communicate this directly because there's no way to really explain it. But when it's, when it's an energetic trans uh, communication, when myself is not in the way, then the divine sees itself and it resonates inside another person. Mm. So I didn't go to graduate school in architecture. I went to divinity school to study mysticism. I got talked into being a minister and I figured it was a fine place to hide out as a mystic. Who's going to, who's going to question the minister who's meditating? Nobody. Yeah. Or studying <laughs> the ancient texts. Nobody's going right. to ask questions about that. Um <laughs> So I'm going to stop. I know that I went way over the time we had talked. No, about. no. You know, I always suggest like, let's start at an hour. Let's both put ourselves in the perspective of this might go an hour, but it might go longer. Depends on how we jive. And like you have. Yeah. Like I said, the articulation, man, this is the most. This is the story that's resonated with me more than any other anybody else's story when it comes to these mystical ineffable as i like to call them experiences ineffable that's my word that's the word i really like it even though i mean you are again articulate about what you experienced this ineffability where you know you're explaining it as a chronological thing but it's not a chronological thing and there's so many paradoxes mixed in that for people way outside of this realm of thinking we sound like crazy people yeah and it's a real the whole idea of you being treated the same as if nothing had happened to you by all the people in your life that know you quote unquote. Oh man, I resonate with that. And you really do come off at, like, at least the way I brought it out was, you know, uncertainty and trying to put it into logical terms. It came off frightening to other people in some cases, you know, it really, it rattles people when, when you're faced with people that have gone through these things, you know? So I, I kept it a secret for most of my life. That's why. Wow. So I, I locked my lips for 20 years. I didn't tell anybody. I told, well, it's not quite true. I told my childhood best friend, a backpacker, a guy I'd known since cool. I was a kid. And I told him on a backpacking trip in the White Mountains. Right? Wow, nice. <laughs> so like the year later, because he knew that I was different. We, we it's, it's So, mm. all right. So. He and then I told my wife the day after we got married. Cool. And and I, I and I kept otherwise. I told one other guy he see, he saw this thing happen and I had to tell him because he, I because I didn't want to end up in a mental ward um, mm. because it's people can think it's crazy. And so I had to explain to him why. And and anyway, I I finally came out. I, after yeah. I, I know what I was going to say, I needed, I wanted to build up my professional credibility to a point at which, and trust in my communities uh, to, to a point at which if I finally did come out, then people would think he's just eccentric, not crazy. There you go. Okay. I, that's a really, 
a mature way to handle a really insane experience. I mean, I came out like many others screaming from the rooftops, you know, trying to paint the walls and, and just say everything I possibly could. I felt immediately this like weight of, I need to tell everybody. Oh yeah. This That's what I, yeah. needs to be. No of course I look back and I, I love that version of myself and I just want to hug them and laugh like, Oh, you'll only, you'll get it later. You know? <laughs> Well, I was pissed. So, <laughs> so that's why I had the strength to shut my mouth because I was pissed off at God because okay. I, was, I was like, I, so, so, so we self treat for hypothermia. The warden comes to see whether we need the helicopter to get us the bodies off the mountain. And we drive, <sighs> we drive, we begin our drive back. We end up, we, we end up in jail for a few hours. We have to pay our way out. We totally, really? oh, why yeah. was this? Uh, because because Tim sped through a town and and we were Americans and we refused to pay the fine at the on at the moment because he's like you Americans you never paid the fine uh, we're not gonna pay it give us and he's like so he puts us in jail so anyway we paid the fine and we get out and then the car we total I totaled the car and oh my god and and yeah I totaled the car and so the next morning to the the morning not the morning we we survived but the next morning Tim was livid at me. I, I hitchhiked. We had enough money left that he could take a bus back from where we were to Bozeman with the skis and the pole and all this stuff. And I made my because I was a hitchhiker. So I yeah. made a little I made a little science at Bozeman and I start to hitch. And as I'm standing outside at sunup um, trying to get back to Bozeman, uh, I was wicked angry because I inside of me, there, there was this ongoing roar like a waterfall loud, loud, loud. And it in its non-language, it's non-linguistic, and it's 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 calling my name, the same name. It's like showing me myself, and it's telling me to communicate, speak this, tell this, and it's like you tricked me, you 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 tricked me. You sent me back here, and I, you, I'm not living my life. Even though it told me you wouldn't live your life, I was you know pissed that I wasn't living my life. And mm -hmm. so because I was angry at God for doing this to me, I'm like, I'm not saying a fucking word. Wow. That is so intense, man. So like uh, conscious of the, like aware of the situation you were in. <laughs> and so I, I, I dove into my meditation and I went to divinity school. I studied mysticism. So I go to, I went, I didn't go to graduate school in architecture, family plan for my whole life. My dad was and you know, they had an office outside of Boston and architectural mm. firm. And I've been pushing a pencil and working in construction, you know, trying to get mm -hmm. my set up for this grad degree. And I went to divinity school instead to study mysticism. And so I, got, I went to Yale and they don't teach that there, but the Dean of students allowed me to take classes across the university. So there were classes in it around the university. And so I did a three-year independent study and she found money to hire a professor for me. I never told her what I was doing, why I was doing it. And so I, I dove into the history of Western classical mysticism and also the East. I've read a lot of other, the, the other texts, the Upanishads and the Vedas and all that yeah. stuff. Um, and, and I was looking for language to understand what happened to me. I was looking for a peer group. I found my peer group among the dead mystics and I found the tools, uh, uh, Yogananda, Paramahansa Yogananda and mm -hmm. Pantajali uh, from the Yoga Sutras. I found the, the tools that they left 
behind thousands, potentially thousands of years old of tools. And I incorporated those in, incorporated those into my interior practice. And so I, I, I drove my, my interior practice in order to create a space inside myself to bring it to me now. Wow. Um, and, and, and the history of mysticism is that that's what they do. There's yeah. basically, it's always breath and focus, those two things. And, and they lead to the emptiness, the end of identity, the end of self-identity, the, of the attachment to the egoic mind. And the more that one is, the, the less one is attached to oneself, the more one is witness to oneself, the, the less one has a filter for the divine's presence. Mm -hmm. and um and here i sit you know and then i died again in 2015 and i get a lot of other stuff happened but so yeah we, we may have to do another episode on that one but just real quick question was that one of the same ilk like you know accident sort of situation heart, heart attack oh wow okay yeah all congenital right. you know thing family thing family history and not nearly as intense but i chose to come back again Okay, so you did have you did have the experience again. I've heard this a number of times from near death experiencers that if the situation occurs that they have a, a close call again, that they are swept away once again. It's almost like, ah, uh, well, you know, he revealed he he had the secrets revealed to him once. He can come back this time for this brief moment again. I guess you know. <laughs> Yeah, there are people who have like nine of them. There was this That's guy I know in Australia. He he died like nine times on the operating table. And every single event of his death, of each his subsequent death, was a different experience of the divine. That makes sense. You know, that yeah. fan you described of all the lives, I feel like I kind of experienced the divine in that sense too, where it's like everything is of this massive gradient and it's all the same thing but it's all different at the same it's, time like that paradox the, again yep yeah i'm curious uh to know if you feel like the way i mean it's i'm not sure how much you've judged this like the way in which you came back from that original experience the way you handled yourself the way you responded to it do you feel, and even also including the way you went into it, like kind of recognizing that peace washing over you a little bit, do you feel like your time with psychedelics in younger years, uh, which led you, I believe you said, into meditation even before this happened, do you think these things prepared you in a way that may have vastly altered this whole experience for you had you not gone to those realms beforehand? Yeah, they helped me understand what happened to me in hindsight. So so when I was a child, five years old, I had my first mystical experience uh, taken out of myself and brought into the divine presence in the void. And uh, I had I had another one subsequent to that. And then I had that, that triple hit of uh, purple microdot, San Pedro Hell cactus. Yeah. And then the year before this happened, I was backpacking on the Appalachian Trail um, in Massachusetts, headed nice. towards Mount Greylock, and uh, oh, cool. and it was like eight inches of snow on the ground. And I had two other out-of-body um, mystical experiences where the same angelic form that took me as a child, the same one that took me in my death, um, it took me out and showed me other things. And and it was each one of those mystical experiences, including the tripping one, that after i that i got information that i didn't understand i had no context for it right. and after i died i could look back and think and see 
oh, this thing and that thing and this thing set me up for this thing. And now I understand this thing through those things. I would not have understand this thing. I'd understood this thing had I not had these other things. Right. And that's when you look at God and you're like, oh, and you did this. And he's just like, yeah, yeah. yeah and you're like, and he, uh, she, what, this right. non-individuated yeah. thing is just giving you that nod and a smirk. Like, see? Yeah. <laughs> you thought it was hard then. Uh, now you know yeah. why. <laughs> Unreal, man. This is this is fascinating how parallel the experiences can be sometimes. And I think we find communion with that, with each other, the way that like, I mean, this is when it comes to like people building communities, we build them over many, many similarities and many different things that we can find in common with one another. But there's something so uh, crucial or important, even though it's not a necessarily, it doesn't automatically happen to everybody by no means, but this feels very crucial. These, uh, coming together and being able to kind of understand one another from the other side, you know, even though you can't put it into language, finding one another all over this beautiful earth of ours that has a similar experience in this realm. I think we're connecting dots here. We're building one of those big pictures where we're literally connecting dots. We're building a tapestry together or something like that, you know, kind of like you say, you've made a space for the divine or heaven now, it's almost like we're kind of collectively bringing it here now. Uh, it's almost like the only way to make it logical is across the board, because logical is kind of just like when it makes sense to everybody. Well, <laughs> this is like a dream I had when I was 17 going, man, if only we could poison the water with LSD, you know, just that image. Like, like a bandaid right off to the whole world. <laughs> yeah. That's I, I I'm in agreement with you that so near death experience in 1960s yeah. came online with uh, cardiac care when I'm, people have always been dying and coming back and people were yeah. always taking psychedelics that goes that that goes back you know way before religion um, yeah. and so there were always shamanistic people but the near death experience thing although it's historically it's in the historical record around the world. Uh, it was fairly rare, but now it's not rare. Now mm -hmm. it's like 5% of the American population have been in the medical situation where they've been brought back from the dead. And we are an army. We are a global yeah. group of science-driven, mystical people in every single culture, in every single language, every single country around the world by the tens and tens of millions. And now we've got you people like you out here running podcasts, communicating about this, giving voice, helping me have a voice. Thank Absolutely. you. Yes. And 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 so the more of us that can talk about this and, and normalize it in the public square, the more we can find a way because humanity, you know, we really haven't changed much in 300,000 years. We're still driven by our jealousies and our greeds and our envies and and our power, our desire for power. All our political systems and social structures, they haven't solved these problems. There's only one thing that can solve that. And that's what we're talking about. It's this yeah. divine love and light when we recognize that we are inhabitants of our bodies as much as we're inhabitants of the world and that there are the origin of ourself is divine love. When we can tap into that and then communicate it heart to heart, then we have a chance here. Yeah, absolutely. It's like on an individual level when the person that, you know, doesn't have that sight about themselves from one of these experiences is trying to face problems in their life that, are reoccurring whether they're aware of that reoccurrence or not 
you know, it's always that, that response, that egoic response of, you know, I'll figure it out. I'm going to figure that out. I'll take care of that. I'll sort out those things, but that never happens, you know, from that logical reasoned side of the brain, it, it just doesn't happen. But from this other perspective, facing inward, facing yourself, it actually gets the work done. And so when you look out at all of our political systems, all of our, everything that we're run by is the ego. If we can kind of break it like that, you know, put the macro onto like, you know, dress up the macrocosm as a person, it really does feel that way that it's just a a spoiled brat that hasn't come to terms with himself, you know, and does that happen all at, at once overnight, the Aquarian dream? I don't know. It feels very progressive or something, you know, I don't, I don't know. What do you think? Well, I'd like to see it happen overnight, but it, it, uh, I, I, I know this. So when I go to these, there's this group called the International Association for Near-Death Studies. Mm-hmm. It's a, like a 45 year old group of 40 years old. I'm not sure, 40, 45 years old. And they're science-based university-based research on near-death experience. And they run conferences. And when I go to the conferences, because that's where I found my tribe. There are other near-death experiences there. So I go to, and and when I walked into this place the first time, this conference was in Denver, in this hotel. And when I walked in the door, it was like the, it was like the, the yellow submarine cartoon where they're human beings and they walk into this place and they become cartoons. You're like, (laughs) but it was sort of like that because I walk into this bubble of, of intense light. And now my my own radiance mag is magnified in the presence of all these other people who've got the same experience, similar experiences of the radiance inside themselves. And so now we're all kind of collectively creating this much larger bubble. It's like Jesus was talking about where two or three are gathered. I am there. It's the I am that he's talking about. It's the divine presence that it's magnified in the presence of each other. So 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 there is a potential. Uh, for if enough of us awaken to create a bigger bubble of the divine presence and would that change i want to nudge really what i'm all i'm looking for is to nudge humanity in this direction uh, that 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 all of these that all of us together collectively as like individual diodes um, but connected to a fiber optic cable back to the divine light where all these individual diodes shining light on each other, that the whole thing becomes illuminated. I don't know that that's going to happen um, because it does seem to me to be, it is progressive. It is progressing, but it seems incremental to me at this point. But yeah. Um, so what I'm really trying to do in my work is create a, a place in the public square for it to be normalized. Let's, let's, and this is what you're doing it, because because people of all people have mystical experiences and sometimes they happen through psychedelics, but sometimes they happen through the visitation of the dead. So yeah. like like somebody's grieving for somebody they love who's gone and then they come back and they communicate directly in this very similar telepathic download of love and wellness of being. And then that individual person now knows that that other person who's dead isn't dead. Mm. That, that, that they're still alive in a different form and that now they understand that there is life after death. And so, and like half the populations had that kind of thing. So yeah. studies show. And so there's a lot of us and yeah. 
And if we can get out of the closet, (laughs) yeah, that's what I'm saying. If we can all admit that these things happen to us. So I I, I was after my I had this TV show when it ended, I toured New England and in little tiny churches toured New England. I was on a bus. No, I was like (laughs) these little tiny, tiny churches on all over these places. Um, And I would ask the question, who here has ever had a visitation from the dead? Nobody would raise their hand, of course, because they're all like mm. afraid to do so. And then I would raise my hand and then half the congregation of every single church would raise their hand. 50 wow. percent. Every, every church I was in. And then I would say, was this a seminal if, spiritual event for you? Yes, it was. Everybody says. And then I said, did you tell anybody? Yes, everybody told somebody. Did you ever talk about it in church? Nobody. Zero. Wow. That's everybody- weird. Well, everybody's afraid to talk about it. They could talk about it to one person, a trusted person. That's so fair, yeah. It's like this open, private, public secret. Yeah. So I, what I'm hoping to do is is get everybody to talk about their experience. And when everybody talks about their experience, then it becomes normal. And then we can move, then we can move on from there. Then that's, that gives us a basis for, for maybe reshaping society. Because... Because as you say, correctly say, society is a collection of egoic minds. Mm. And, yeah. you know, as long as the ego is in charge, society is going to suck. Yeah, and it's going to keep, you know, thinking that the systems that are here are going to fix themselves, you know, like, oh, this one put a different mask on this time. <laughs> exactly. It, <you> know, it's... <laughs> that's ego. That's that's me doing the same behavior over and over again and and thinking I'm going to get to the solution to it tomorrow. And you know, that is insanity. <laughs> yeah, it is. And and it's, it's all in our faces, you know, and I think the more people talk about this, they, people don't necessarily have to have this experience to get the, the bigger pictures that, that we talk about because of these experiences. Those are extremely human and relatable. So that's the good uh, connection to the, the normie world, I guess you could say, that we still have. You know, it's not that this information that is important that we can actually logically put into language is, uh, I don't know, it's still very valid to everybody else. It's the same world problems. It's the same, you know, psychological, you know, struggles and problems that we can build on and, and find better solutions to. It's just from a better perspective. It's from a more humble perspective. It's so the word. I, I really appreciate this conversation and, and your experiences, man, have kind of uh, helped me tonight uh, get back there a little bit. My only experiences come from the psychedelic realm and even friends that I was with on those specific trips didn't come back the same way that I did. Like I, you know, like it's not necessarily automatic it's never automatic you know i tell my wife all the time oh man i i think you'd really love if you did trip and and she's thinking about it but at the same time she's not gonna come back necessarily with the same download i did or you know it doesn't always hit people the same and i think that's the lesson that i learned and i'm continuously learning is people come to things in their own time and when it happens to you it happens to you you know but we can try to be those beacons of light as much as possible that's exactly uh, it you can show it but not demand it yeah and that's a that's a learning process too you know starting from screaming about it but you know it's something you brought to mind something that ram Dass used to talk about how when you come back from this experience you want to run down the church aisles 
you know, screaming, you know, all those words you're singing are the truth. And it's very relatable to what you said about how like in church, people felt very uncomfortable to talk about this direct experience but it's like the church should be the ultimate place because everybody's always already saying the words right like there's mysticism in all of those stories whether people see it that way or not it can be looked at that way all the hymns everybody's singing about what we experience they most of them just don't know because the experience hasn't uh it's not important anymore it's it's told that you know just come here into this building and listen to these words and then you're experiencing god and it's kind of taking away from what the real experience is and it's just so ironic that it's all written right there anyway (laughs) we could we could go way down that route i have a lot to say on that particular subject but maybe we'll have to do a part two (laughs) i'd love that i'd love that this it 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 yeah, we could talk a lot about that. Okay, well, I think we should definitely set that up at some point. But we'll, I'll let you go for now. And this has been epic. And I, I hope people will reach out to you. Please tell my audience where they can find you. I'm at peterpanagor.love. And I've got a YouTube channel called Not... Uh, it's Peter Panagor called Not Church. It's under my name. My channel is Peter Panagor. But I do I, I, I do what we're talking about right here is I, I, I show the light inside the scriptures that are hidden there. And also awesome. bring in a whole lot of other mystics from around the world. But PeterPanagor.love, you want to talk to me personally, I, I, I'm available. That's awesome. That's great, Peter. And it was really nice to meet you and get to know you tonight. And yeah, I look forward to speaking to you again and we can go into some other topics for sure. Cool. Good to meet you, Andy. And uh, yeah, maybe I'll get around telling you my story at some point. I would love to hear your story. I'd love to hear your story. (laughs) Absolutely. All right, everybody. Thank you so much for tuning in. It's been great. See you next time. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Deep Share Podcast. If you want to hear more, then hit that subscribe button. Follow me on all the social places. And remember, think for yourself, but don't always believe what you think. Till next time. Human sacrifice, dogs and cats living together, cactus carrier. Enough, I get the point. You meddle with the primal forces of nature. <laughs> and you... We are atone. What do we know? What do we know? If I know what we know, then I can tell you what we know, and if someone else knows, okay? Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.